So this morning we're, we're continuing in this little series as, as looking at communion and hoping that you've grown in some of your understanding of communion. Communion is becoming more and more important to you, or a deeper understanding of that. Uh, this morning is, is no different than the last two. I really pray that especially after this message, when we take communion in a few moments and we hold the bread and hold the juice, you go, oh my word, and something clicks, something clicks with you. Now listen, I, I, I just need to tell you a couple of things going in this. Uh, so I'm well aware this is not a politically correct message. And so I'm well, I am well aware of that. And so, but you know what? We're going to use biblical language and we're going to walk through this and we're going to understand uh, communion maybe a little bit in a different way. And so I would tell you this, that the first part of this message, the introduction, is heavy, heavy doctrine and heavy theology. There's a reason for that, so that when we come back and we learn how to apply this, and all of a sudden, hopefully, all the pieces will come together, and you'll understand what I'm talking about, about this issue of communion. So the title of this message is, is Living as a Child. And so you can turn in your Bibles, if you'd like to, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. We're also going to be in Galatians chapter 4. We're also going to be in Romans. Romans chapter 8 is we use scripture to interpret scripture for us this morning. And so we're going to look at a lot of the writings of Paul. And we're going to look at this issue of what does it mean to live, what does it mean to live as a child in the Christian life. And so here, here's the, the, the focus verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 through 19. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You already heard Ashlyn talk about that. And so he's talking about the moment you become a Christian, the moment you accept uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. He says you're a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So in this series, last week we looked at that word justification. It's just a theological word. It's the gracious act of God that declares a sinner righteous, and righteous simply means that you and I are in right standing with God. That's all that means. And you're in right standing with God, not based upon your performance, but solely based on your faith in Jesus Christ. It is by grace we have been saved, not through works so that no man, no woman can boast. And so when you look at this issue of justification, justification is to be made right with God and right standing with God. And so that is not a process. It is like a one-time event. You are not trying to work up your righteousness. You are not trying to earn your righteousness. That's a one-time event. So your righteousness is so clear. So your righteousness is not based upon how well your week goes. It is not based upon how much you've attended church, how much you prayed, how much you've read scripture, how much you studied scripture. It is not based upon what you did. You are not, listen, you are not trying to earn your righteousness. This is, this is just so fundamental to the Christian life. You're not, try, you're not trying to work your way to heaven. You're not trying to do more good stuff than bad stuff. You, your righteousness uh, is based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In other words, God looks through the blood of Christ. God looks through Christ's righteousness and pronounces us not guilty. And so we looked at this word justification. We looked at this word reconciliation, which simply means to be brought back into the right relationship of another. And today we're going a little bit deeper. We're looking at two words, uh, adoption. Uh, we're looking at, at this issue of adoption that, that the scriptures talk about, that we've been adopted. We're going to understand that. And then the two words we're going to look at is righteousness and loved. In justification, God declares us righteous, right standing. 
In adoption, God declares us loved, right? we got to know both in the Christian life. we got to know that we're not only in the right relationship with God, but God loves us. That is so critical. When we hold the bread and we hold the juice, it reminds us that we have been justified. We are righteous. We're in right standing with God. Oh, and guess what? God loves us. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine standing in front of a, like a judge? And you know you're guilty. Everybody knows you're guilty. And this judge looks at you and declares you not guilty. But the judge doesn't like move on to the next case. The judge takes off his robe and comes from behind the bench and comes down and, and, and takes off your handcuffs, takes off your shackles, and looks at you and says, you are loved and you are forgiven. And I'm taking you into my home and I'm taking you into my family. And you're going to have full rights of a son or a daughter in my family. See, the God of the universe has adopted you. The God of the universe universe has declared you and declared me righteous and right standing when we accept his son for the forgiveness of our son uh, of our sins and so he declares us right in right standing and justification and he declares us loved as a son in adoption and listen don't let this throw you the text is talking about using the word son and so it's not because like Paul's some male chauvinist or something like that you got to understand the context and in in the first century in the first century who he is talking to, only the son inherited the family's inheritance. So don't let that throw you. He's just talking about when you're in the family, you get full inheritance. And Paul goes on, and we'll look at Galatians chapter 4, and we'll flesh this out. But Paul is saying it doesn't matter about gender, it doesn't matter about ethnic background, that you receive full inheritance, full inheritance. Now listen, we believe that God like, like assigns gender and God assigns ethnic background, and we believe he's sovereign and we believe he's in control. And listen, this is countercultural counterculture to the word and to the world in which we in which we live and so whenever you're watching the news or whenever the culture says something and speaks something into your life you need to look in the scripture and says well God does God have anything to say about this I mean has God already spoken about this and so when you look at this Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 we're just going to walk on because we're all together in one family Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 now I say that as long as the heir is a child he differs in no way from a slave though he is the owner of everything so he's, he's talking about this issue that at one time that you were a you were a child living in the home, but you're really a slave or a servant. And you, you had people that watched over you. You had rules and you had regulations that you had to keep up with. And, and you're just trying to be in the family, but all of a sudden something happened. And there was a point that you became a son. And you were adopted into the family. And as a result of that, you had full rights and you had full privileges of a son. But we're not automatically sons of God. And this is what Scripture talks about. Galatians 4, verse 4. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, that's important, born under law, that's important, uh, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So God sent his son so that we might receive a position of sons. And it happened at the right time. At just the right time, Jesus Christ came to this earth, fully God and fully man, um, fully human, fully divine, fully human, however you want to phrase that, that at just the right time he came to redeem us, to adopt us, and guess what? At just the right time he is coming back again. And he is coming back again to gather us up. And that is good news for us. Verse 4, again, he says, when the time came to completion, in other words, at the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So God sent his son, fully divine, not a created son, a pre-existent son. And God came on his behalf. 
God came himself. He was both fully human, born of a woman. That's why that's so important, fully human in the natural way. The most significant thing regarding his birth is found in, in the identity of a, of a baby in, in the manger. So fully divine and fully human. Fully righteous. That's that phrase, born under the law. Not, not born a man, but a Jewish man under Jewish law. And so he would be raised in a Jewish family. He would go to a Jewish synagogue. He would not just know the law of God, but he would be the one that would actually fulfill the law of God. And he uses this term in Galatians. He uses this term in, in, in Romans about adoption. And, and the reason he does this, there's several reasons. One of the ones that I just want to bring out just real quickly is, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, adoption is intentional. There's no such thing as an accidental adoption, right? I mean, I've never met anyone that say, hey, we just accidentally adopted this person. If you've walked through the steps of adoption, my family, we've walked through the steps of adoption. We know this. It's intentional. It's something that you pray about. It's something that you think about. It's something that you work hard about. It is intentional. And so when, when Paul talks about that you've been adopted, that God came to redeem you, that God came to, to adopt you, he wants you to know that it was, a it was intentional. He, he had a plan, verse 4, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. So he determined, it's important, he determined to adopt us, he determined to redeem us. And then Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and, uh, 3 through 5, Paul is trying to help flesh this out. And he says this, Blessed is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. And he predestined us to be what? To be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ himself for according to his good pleasure. And folks, Jesus Christ came to adopt you. It was intentional. And Ephesians tells us like, like the, the, the reality of this. The Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that guess what? And we weren't the greatest prospects for adoption. I mean, we were living a sinful life. I mean, the scripture says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we were like following the ways of the world. We were following the rules of the world. And so we're not, when you look at scripture, we're not described as an orphan without a father. But we're described as orphans who rejected a father. I mean, the scripture says we have said we don't want him. And so we're not the greatest prospects. We weren't the greatest prospects of adoption. And so the only way I know to illustrate this is out of the life of, of, of a good friend of mine, Jimmy Luke. Now, Jimmy Luke and I, it was in another life when I was in engineering in, in Houston, Texas in the, in, the, um, in the late 80s, early 90s. And, and so Jimmy Luke was like a lot older than me. And so one time we were talking, he says, you know what, I was a war baby. And uh, he said at World War II, he says, my mom became pregnant. Uh, she gave birth to me. He says, I've never, I don't know who my biological dad is, don't know who my biological mother is. My mother put me in some, like a cardboard box, and she went down to the local orphanage in Louisiana, and she put me on the doorstep of an orphanage there. And he says, so I don't know that it, I, I know I spent a night alone on, on, on the doorstep of an orphanage. I don't know if it was the first night of my life or the second night of my life, but I, I know it was pretty pretty early in my life. My life, my, my, my mom put me on a, on, a, on a doorstep, and the next morning they noticed I was there. They brought me into the orphanage, and he said, it's a big orphanage in Louisiana. And so he said, my parents, my adopted parents, decided that they wanted to adopt a child. They came to the orphanage. They looked at all the babies, and they, they chose me, and they adopted me. 
And he says, when I was in my teenage years, I had a question, and, and I asked my parents this question. Now, listen, I, I don't know if this is good parenting or bad parenting. I just know this is the way it went down. And he said, so I asked my mom. I said, Mom, i got to know. Why did you adopt me? Out of all the babies in the orphanage, why did you choose me? And she said, well, Jimmy, we just need to tell you, we adopted you because you were the ugliest baby in the orphanage. <laughs> and I was like, Hor I'm like, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, like I say, they're probably not teaching any parenting conferences. And, and so he's like, he goes, yeah. He said, my mom looked at me and said, we adopted you because you were the ugliest baby in the orphanage. When we got there, you were malnourished. You were sick. You were not very attractive. We looked at all the other babies. And the reason we adopted you is because we were so concerned that if we didn't adopt you, nobody else would. And you would spend 18 years in that orphanage. And you... And I looked at him and said, are you okay with that? He goes, I am so okay with that because when you ask me if my parents love me, I will tell you, I know my parents love me because I was the ugliest baby in the, in the orphanage. <laughs> and they adopted me. I wasn't a good prospect for, for, for adoption. And guess what, folks? I need to tell you, we weren't good prospects for adoption either. There was nothing in us. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't be perfect enough. There wasn't nothing, there was nothing in us that would draw him to us. And I am here to tell you this morning, when we hold the bread and we hold the juice, it reminds us, just like it did Jimmy Luke, it reminds us, guess what, we were, we're loved. Not based upon my ability, not based upon my performance, not based upon my righteousness, we are loved. And so the God of heaven, just so we're clear, the God of heaven, when he looks down on your life, not to the person next to you, not to the person behind you, not to the person in front of you, he looks down at you and he says, you are loved. And if you want to know if you're loved or not, you just remember, I wasn't the greatest prospects for adoption. And when you hold that bread and when you hold that juice, it reminds you, that he came to adopt me. He came to get me and I'm redeemed and I'm loved. He, God sent his son so that you and I may have a position of a son, not a slave, a son. Full rights, full, full inheritance to everything. Enjoy the privileges of a son. Look at this, verse, verse 6, uh, Galatians chapter 4. I'm sorry, verse 4. He said, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. To redeem those under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent, us, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. So your status, just I mean, we just got, um, we just got to understand this before we apply this. Because if we don't understand this, the application has no meaning in your life. Your status before God is based on what Christ has done for you on the cross. We are sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And we, when we enter into a relationship with him, we've been redeemed, and he is our father. And so when we hold the bread and we hold the juice... And maybe you're here this morning and say, I'm wondering if God loves me. Well, I'm telling you, that bread and that juice that you're going to hold in a few minutes, that's proof. That is proof. He gave his life for you. He came to get you. He came to rescue you. So with that, 
three things, and we're going to take communion together. Three things that we have to understand. The first thing is we have to understand is we are immersed in Christ. When we cross over and we accept him and we ask him to come into our life, we are immersed in Christ. Galatians 4.27, for those of you who are baptized in Christ, you have been clothed with Christ. And so when we take communion, we are identifying our identity is in Christ. We are identifying with him. We're identifying in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we've been adopted. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. Our, listen, regardless of what this world tells you, your identity... Your identity is not found in your sexuality. Your identity is not found in sex. Your identity is not found in gender. Your identity is not found in your education. Your identity is not found in your position or status of this world. Your identity is not found in a bank account. Your identity is not found in what you do for a living. Your identity is not found in a family. It's not found in, a, in, in, your, in, in your gender, in your ethnic ethnicity. Uh, it is not found in anything. Listen, your identity is found in Christ. And see what, when we hold the bread and we hold the juice, it reminds us that guess what? Our identity is not in any of those other things. Our identity is in Christ and it is in Christ alone. And so when, whether it's communion or baptism, see baptism is, is this. Baptism is you standing up pub publicly and say, I identify with Jesus Christ. My, my identity is in him. That's why baptism is so important. If you have not been biblically baptized, believer's baptism, towards a decision you made for yourself, towards a decision, it wasn't something that a mom made a decision for you or a dad made that decision for you, but you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You asked him to come into your life for your forgiveness of sins. And then as a result of that, you said, I'm going to follow him in believer's baptism. Listen, you don't, you don't have to get baptized, right, to be a Christian. It is in faith alone, but I'm going to tell you, it's the first act of obedience is to stand up and say, my identity, my identity is found in, in him. And if you have not been biblically baptized, I, it's a passion of mine because I've seen how it's changed lives. Talk to us. We would love to help you, guide you through this. I mean, come to me all, all who are weary and burdened. I mean, when you look at that word all, it's all. I mean, when, when, you look at the, when you look at Christ, when you look at what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, verse 27, we'll read it in just a minute. Jesus Christ breaks down every racial, social, and gender barriers. Why? Because our identity is found in him. And so watch this. This, this is why our world is so divided, because our world doesn't understand this. Our world thinks, you know what? Our identity is found in something else, and that's why our world is divided. You know what brings unity to the church? Our, we're one. We're one in him. We identify in him. Look at this, Galatians 4.28. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the world will tell you there are no distinctions between male and female, there are no distinctions anymore between ethnicities and, and different races and different, different things like that. But when you see that, when the world speaks that, you've got to see what the Scripture says. And so the Scripture says this. The distinctions are still there, but they're no longer a barrier. They're no longer a barrier. So I don't, I don't know if you know this, and, 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 and one time I'll preach an entire message on this, but, but Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, just for a reference, I don't know if you know this theologically. When you die, 
You take the color of your skin with you. When you die, listen, when you die, you take that with you in heaven. That's why in Revelation chapter 7, around the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, around the table, it, it, it uses language that says that there is every tribe, every nation, every, every race, every, every tongue. And they're not, listen, they are not seated in sections. They are not, listen, there's not one race over here and one race over here. Over here, I mean, they're all together. They are mixed in. And so there are some people that when they, when they talk about this issue of race and, and, and gender and some of these other things, and I get it, I get it, I get it. There's a lot of pastors unwilling to talk about this right now because they're so worried if they say one little thing wrong, someone's going to think they're woke or someone's going to think they're, they're, they're racist or someone's going to think that they're, they're, they're not loving or they're not kind. And so we, if we cannot talk about this in church, where can we talk about this? It has to be in church. It has to, listen, it has to be in church. We just have to understand this. And so there's some people, and it's well-meaning, I get it and I understand it. There's some people say, well, you know what, brother, I'm just, I'm colorblind. When I look at people, I don't see color. And that's well-meaning, it's just not biblical, because God sees color. God created you your gender. God created you your, your ethnic background. God created that. God sees it. God, God sees it. And so there's a guy by the name of Darren Gray. Darren Gray played for the Indianapolis Colts. He was a fierce, I mean, a fierce linebacker. And so um, he's, he, uh, he's now a black pastor in, in Charlotte, New, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, so he played, for the, he played for the Indianapolis Colts, and then he retired as a Panther. And so when he played for the Indianapolis Colts, Co uh, Coach Dundee uh, was, was his coach. And they had this guy on the team, and Darren at this time was not a Christian. And they had this football player on the team, and he was nicknamed the, the, the Naked Preacher. And so he got that nickname because after a practice or after a game, he'd take a shower, and then he'd walk around the locker room naked and with a Bible in his hand, and he would go player to player, and he'd read Scripture, and he'd witness to them. And Darren would say, it was, off. it was awkward. I mean, he definitely had our attention because you looked him right in the eyes. You just looked him right in the eyes. <laughs> he said, I, I met Christ that way. I met, he met Christ from the naked preacher. And he met Christ, and he comes, he, comes out of, he comes out of that. He goes to seminary, gets a doctorate, and he's now a preacher. And he, he's, he, he's leading on this issue of a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. And I'm so thankful. That's our church. We're multi-ethnic. We're multi-generational church, and I'm thankful for that. And so Darren Gray would say, let's change the language. Quit saying we're colorblind. How about this? We're color-blessed. I am blessed by your color. I am blessed by your ethnic background. I am blessed by your culture. And you know what? I would hope you would say, Charlie, we're blessed by your culture. We're blessed. I mean, I'm just a white guy from Texas. <laughs> and thankfully, God got me out, out of all that because that's just a whole nother level of whiteness. And so, uh, <laughs> and God brings me to Pueblo, Colorado. And I, listen, I realized how diverse Pueblo is. And I got to tell you this. I have been so blessed, so blessed by your culture, so blessed by your background. And I pray you're blessed by mine. I mean, I've taught you that you can pronounce words all kinds of different ways, right? 
and still have some level of intelligence. I, I, um, it was funny. We were doing mission work in Zimbabwe, and we had like a rest day, so we went to like a little safari. And so I think it was my wife. We said, hey, look at the zebras. And the, the, the guide person started laughing. He says, you Americans, you're so funny. You don't pronounce it zebras. You pronounce it zebras. It's not Z-E-E-B-R-A. It's Z-E-B-R-A. So you know what we did? We started calling them zebras. Look at the zebras. And so that was totally, so I've taught you some things, right? And so, <laughs> listen, I'm, I'm so thankful for you, and I'm, I'm blessed by your color. And I'm blessed that we're a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. We got students leading us in worship, and everybody's okay with that. We got multiple people from different backgrounds, and we all sit together. And we, all, we're, we, we don't sit in sections, and we don't all look the same, and that's a blessing. When I, when I first came to Pueblo, I heard a term that I'd never heard of before, and someone says, oh, they're a bojon. And I'm like, can you say that out loud? I mean, it, I mean and I was totally unsettled with that. And then I, I met a bojon. In fact, is I met a bunch after, this, after the earlier service, and I met a bojon. And I was asking them about their background, and all of a sudden they got real emotional. They started talking about a grandfather. They came to Pueblo, Colorado, gave up everything to, to make a better way for his family. And how much they loved their grandfather. Listen, I have been so blessed by your culture. And I've been so blessed about being in a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. It was in Pueblo, Colorado, I discovered green chili, glory, that is manna from heaven. Italian food at a whole different level, Italian desserts. I mean, I love Christmas time, uh, the Italian desserts, Italian food, truly authentic Mexican food. I mean, grinders and sloppers. I have been blessed getting to know you and understanding your culture. And I pray, listen, I pray that you're blessed by my culture. Because, see, the distinctions still are there. Don't let the world tell you the distinctions are no longer there. Don't let the world tell you that. See what God says. God says, yeah, the differences are there, but guess what? They're no longer a barrier because we can be blessed by each other's cultures. I'll tell you a quick story and we'll move on. Justin McVeigh was like our first youth pastor ever hired here in the, in the 90s, and, and we just had a cl close relationship. I got to mentor him. He's now in California. The fact is, Pastor Eli is a product of, of his ministry. And so I was doing some pastor meetings in, in Denver, and I didn't want to go along. So I said, Justin, you need to go with me. Uh, you need to get exposed to, to this, and we'll go early, and we'll grab lunch in Denver. I'll take you to lunch, and then we'll, we'll go to these pastor meetings. And so we pulled into Denver, and Justin's like, hey, where are we going? And I says, do you like soul food? And he goes, soul food? I've never had soul food. I'm, I'm from Kansas. And I go, I go well, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to educate you. And so we drove down into the heart of Denver, just a favorite, favorite place of mine. And they're famous for their soul food. And we walked in, and I've been blessed by their culture, and they're, 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 they're Christ followers in this place. And so we go into this place, and so I said, Justin, we're going to eat family style. I'm going to order for you. for you. So we got fried, I ordered fried green tomatoes and shrimp and grits and fried chicken, fried catfish, chicken fried steak, fried, everything's fried, just everything's fried. <laughs> So they bring out the fried green tomatoes, and Justin's like, well, how do you eat these things? And, and they're not even ripe. And, and so I says, well, I, I like Louisiana hot sauce. And he tried it. He said, well, that's, he said, that's too mild. And so he calls the waitress over, and he says, hey, I need some hot sauce. 
And she says, mild or medium? And she, he says, no, hot. He goes, you want our hot sauce? He says, yeah, I want hot sauce. And she says, you want Big Mama's hot sauce? And like the restaurant goes, whoa. <laughs> and he goes, I don't care whose it is. I just want the hot sauce. And so she says, okay. And so all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the doors open to the, the kitchen, and Big Mama came out. And she didn't have to introduce herself. We just knew. And so... Uh, uh, <laughs> So Big Mama comes out, and she lays the hot sauce. True story. She lays the hot sauce down on the center of the table in front of Justin, and uh, she looks over, gets his chair, pulls it up to our table, and sits down. And then she leans across the table, and she puts her arm in front of his Dr. Pepper and his water and scoots it away. <laughs> Says, go ahead. And so he ate. And we, we're, we're leaving, and I mean, we were like, he was like a hero that day. And so we're, we're leaving. We get in my truck, and I said, Justin, what was it like? He goes, I didn't taste another thing. He said it was that hot. And he says, you know what? When you see a loaf and jug, could you pull in? I need a jug of water and a loaf of bread right now, right now. <laughs> Our church is colored blessed because we multi-ethnic church and the distinctions are there but because of the cross because of the cross it's not a, a barrier and so when, when we take communion it's just it's just unity we're all coming to the table we're all taking communion as one because guess what our identity is in christ See, this is why Paul's like, he's like, he's like furious in the book of Galatians. Galatians 4.29 says, and if you belong to Christ, then your Abraham's seed heirs according to his purpose. And see, he's fired up mad because the Judaizers have come in and said, you know what? We're better than the Gentiles. But I'm telling you, Paul's like, no, the, the ground at the cross, the ground at the cross is level because our identity is found in him. The third and the last thing is, is simply this. We have intimacy with Christ. We have intimacy with Christ. Again, Galatians 4, six, uh, 4 through 7. When the time of completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Uh, so you are no longer a slave, important, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. So Abba is the most intimate title for God. It was a title that Jesus Christ used in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's going to the cross and he's, he's groaning and he's crying out for God. It's, it, it, it means that you and I, guess what? We have 24-7 access to God. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a pastor. You don't have to go through a hotline. You don't have to go through a prayer line. You don't have to get someone more spiritual to, than you to pray. You have direct access to God. And we cry out to him the most intimate form is Abba, Father, when we get that news that we never thought we were going to get. When we get that doctor's report that rocks our world. When we get that notice from a company or a situation that we're walking through in life that you and I, guess what? You and I 24-7 have intimacy with the Father and we can cry out to him and he will listen to us. But he uses this term, a son or a, fa or, 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 or a slave. And so I'd ask you this morning, what kind of faith do you have? Do you have the faith of a slave or a faith of a son? 
See, a slave is always trying to work their way into the family. They're trying to check off enough religious boxes, do more good stuff than bad stuff, so they just kind of work their way into to the family. They're trying to get a passing grade so they get favor with God. But a son, a son knows that, guess what? There is nothing you can do to get God to love you any more or get him to love you any less. That you're, you're his. You're his. He has given his life for you. And by faith, you have accepted him and you have the righteousness of Christ through grace. That you have this eternal father that says, I have adopted you. I have redeemed you. I am your eternal father. And, and as a result of that, you don't have to worry that one day he's going to like kick you out of the family. A slave is always worried they're going to get kicked out of the family. But a son, a son knows they're in the family. Listen, I am worried there are people in this room that have never experienced the intimacy of God. Even that term is foreign to you. Folks, Jesus Christ came to get you. Jesus Christ came to redeem you. When we take communion, that's what we remember, that he sent his son, his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this world to go to, to, go to the cross, to, to die on the third day be. To, to, to raise again so that we can have newness of life and know that we are His. In Romans 8, in Galatians 4, one of the most popular terms that Paul would use is, is adopted. You've been, a, you've been adopted into the family. We'll read it and we'll understand it. Galatians chapter 8, verse 15 and 16 again. He says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And so this concept of adoption is taught in, in Galatians and taught in, 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 in the book of Romans. And the reason, the reason that is is because of Roman culture. So in Roman culture, just so we're clear, in Roman culture, that if you, that if you had a biological son, biological daughter, you could actually kick them out of the family, you could disown them. But do you realize in Roman culture, when you adopted a son or daughter, there was nothing you could do or nothing they could do to disown them. See, when, when Paul told them, you're adopted, they didn't struggle with can I lose my salvation or not. They didn't struggle with one day am I going to be in the family and out of the family. They understood, oh my word, if God adopts me, that means there's nothing he will do to disown me. That means he will never leave me or forsake me. That means there's nothing I can ever do to separate myself from his love for me. There's another way to explain this before we take communion because you're going to hear a term in a few minutes when we take communion together. He said that this cup is, in this cup is my blood, the new covenant. What does a new covenant mean? See, there's an old covenant, a new covenant, an old covenant, Old Testament, new covenant, new testament. So we just need to understand that. The old covenant. The old covenant was one of those covenants was as, as if, as a, I'm sorry, the old covenant was a as if then covenant. I will do this if you do this. If you do this, I will do this. But in communion, as New Testament Christians, guess what? We're no longer living under the old covenant. We're living under the new covenant. That's why we use that phrase. That's why Paul put that phrase in 1 Corinthians 11 about communion that says this cup is a new covenant in my blood. I need to let you know. 
We are not living under the old covenant. We are living under the new covenant. But some of you, some of you, I fear, are still trying to live under the old covenant. The new covenant is not an if and then covenant. Your salvation is not dependent on your works so that no man can boast. It is not, your, your works is not dependent on your righteousness. It is dependent on Christ and Christ alone. And I understand that some of you in this church, and I am so sorry, you have been raised in denominations. You have sat under old covenant preaching and you didn't even know it. You've been sitting under if-then teaching. If you do this, I will do this. And you've come into this church and it's hard for you to accept that you're no longer under the old covenant. You're under the new covenant. Man, the old covenant tells you if you do good things and good things are going to happen to you. If you do bad things, bad things are going to happen to you. And there's some of you, you're New Testament believers and you're still under the bondage of the Old Testament and you think, or the Old Covenant and you think God is still trying to get even with me. God is still trying to settle the score. This bad thing happened to me because God's getting even and some of those other... And there's no freedom in that. And listen, let me be clear. New Covenant doesn't do away with sowing and reaping. There's consequences to sin. There's consequences to lying. There's consequences to, to our actions and to our words. And so I'm not, I'm not doing away with sowing and reaping. And I'm not, I'm not saying we're doing away with consequences of sin. But what I am saying that if you are truly saved... You can't lose your salvation. The new covenant, the new covenant is not based on if you do the right things and you don't do all the wrong things. It is not based upon that because guess what? You and I can't be good enough. You and I can't be perfect enough. I am pretty sure that if you could lose your salvation, we would have all lost it by now. If we're honest, if we're honest, because we all fall, we all sin. Galatians, Galatians tells us, if the law could have made you righteous, right standing with God, then Jesus Christ died in vain. Romans 8 just tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God. Christian doesn't lose their salvation. They may lose the joy of their salvation. They don't lose their salvation. 